Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can always find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Please comment. We may even read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. So get ready, sit down, and strap in. Strap in. We are proud to introduce the Dented Development Project. In conjunction with the Suffering Podcast, the Dented Development Project is a nonprofit 501c3 with a mission. That's to help first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Visit us at DentedDevelopmentProject.com and get involved today. Helping us means that we can take care of those who take care of us. Sit your ass Sit your down. Ass down. Sit your ass Sit down. down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. down. Sit your ass down. And strap in. This is going to hurt. going to hurt. This is going to hurt. going to hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the suffering podcast. We all need a little relief from time to time. And there's a new product out there that I want you to go check out. It's called Heroes Relief Wine. This wine's going to benefit four organizations dedicated to relieving the heavy burdens that weigh on our military and first responders' shoulders. These are people who take care of us. It's time we start returning the favor. This wine's going to benefit Live Free Farm, a veteran-run and owned animal sanctuary dedicated to the healing of invisible scars through animal therapy. 23rd Hour Angels, the healing team is comprised of three beautiful women that rescue military and first responders from the burdens that trauma causes. Dented Development Project and the Suffering Podcast help repair dents caused by suffering in first responders and their families by showing how there is light in the end of the tunnel. So go to oldyorksellers.com and search for Heroes Relief Wine or check our show notes for the link. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. Imagine having the ability to chase your dreams unfettered, unchained, with no worries, no obligations, no responsibilities, nothing holding or tying you down. Would you be able to get it done? Would you be willing to put in the suffering to reach for a life you always wanted? Probably not. Now, imagine chasing your dreams while having worries, obligations, responsibilities, the same things that we all have. 
all these things grasping at your time and accomplishing it anyway. Those are the people that achieve their dreams. They do so regardless of any roadblocks. They're willing to endure suffering to make their lives worth living, to make their lives into something that they want and not what somebody else wants or expects. On this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we're in the studio with one of these types of extraordinary individuals who dared to take a chance and put the work in suffering for their dreams. He's performed at the Magic Castle in California, and now's a regular. And for those of you who don't know, the Magic Castle is the mecca for magicians. He's spanned the country, he's spanned the globe, bringing joy and wonder to audiences. He's a team builder, he's a teacher, he's a lecturer, he's a professional magician who was awarded the International Champion of Strong and Magic. But most importantly, and this is all honesty from the heart, he's one of my oldest and dearest friends. Will Fern, thanks for coming in today. I'd love to be here, buddy. I've been looking so forward to having you in. I can't believe you're finally here. This is a long time in the making. Well, I, I, I can't tell you how, how happy I am for this project, man. I just dig it. I, I think you're in a, a great spot, and I've, I've listened to almost all of them. And um, Almost, I'm, I'm, huh? Yeah. yeah, some friend you are. Almost all I know, of them. I know, I know. Listen, the last few weeks have been rocking for me, man, with what's going on. No, I'm honored to be here that you think of me to do this, and uh, I just hope I don't suck. <laughs> Before we dive into what we're really going to get into, I want to I talk about our social media question of the week. And this question comes from Sue. Sue asked me, how much suffering is too much suffering? Sue, that, that's a difficult question because I really don't think there's a hard and fast answer to that. But the one thing I want you to take away is we can all take way more than we think. There's something called the 40% rule. And this came from a a person who I admire, his name is David Goggins. He says, when you think you're done, you're only about 40% done. You got about 60% in the tank. It's not how much you can take. It's how much you can take and keep moving forward. The Rocky quote. And I'm looking at a a picture of the Rocky quote. I have it on the wall here in the studio and I, I, I believe it. I live by it. And Will, what's your thoughts on that? How much suffering do you think is enough? Wow. You know what? When, you, when you're pushed to it and losing a loved one and going through uh, metamorphosis of, of self, as we all know, friends have to do it with, you know, issues and chemicals and things. I think you're right. I think you don't know till you get there. I think uh, it'll define you. And God bless you have a support group behind you. Uh, you may be surprised how will you come out of it. And you've got what it will take and you have the people in your life that will give you whatever else you need to get there. If you have that, I think that, uh, yeah, I never heard that 40% rule, but there's times that I was overwhelmed and found it. And then you won't know to get there. I think that's when you do your best work. So thank you very much for the question. Keep sending those questions in. You might, we might get them on air for you and you might get some valuable information out of it. Now, let's find out about Will Fern. All right, you want the uh, the the, the, uh, the Reader's Digest pray see of uh, what this is over here? Uh, I'm a 56-year-old married man. I'm married nearly four years. Uh, luckily to the woman of my dreams. Prettiest girl I ever saw. The only woman I've ever loved said yes. So I am very lucky in that regard. I wish I'd found her 20, 30 years prior, but I met her at 52. But you might not have gotten together with her. Exactly. It might have been the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, no, Timing's I, everything. No, no, exactly. I, if I'd have got to meet, meet a, a Mexican woman in, in South Africa... On a cruise ship in the middle of nowhere, yeah, the odds, yeah, normal living a normal life would never have got me there to meet her when it when it happened. So I don't, you know, I, I've told people I don't regret any of my life and the things I wish could have been if it got me to her at age fifty two. It got me here, yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm pretty lucky there. 
I can always tell how old Will is because Will is exactly 10 years older than me. And I, I remind him of that often. Thank you. Yes. But I, so I got a big family. I'm, I'm one of the youngest of three brothers, nearly 40 first cousins, Irish and Scottish on one side, on my dad's side, the Fern side, and the Italian, the Longo side. Uh, even more cousins over there. Simple, middle class, happy childhood. Good, you know, I was a good kid, good student. National Honor Society, you know, whatever. Some level of cum laude in college, and uh, you know, I could have been somebody. Like I could, I could have had a job. I could have had a four hundred one k, Kevin. <laughs> you could have been a contender, right? <laughs> it could have been something. But I followed the uh, the Frostian path less taken. Made all the difference. I followed my dream to become a magician, ignoring the. Well, actually, I, you think my brothers who were you know ready to retire now as teachers and one and one has, and coaches, and I was the nerdiest one. I was the one with the better grades. I thought would have been the teacher coach guy because we're all big into into you know track and stuff, and they they both did their dream to do that. And they talked me out of it. It's like, nah, you'd hate the politics. You'd go be a magician. You'd be much better off. Like you know, the ones who should have talked sense into me now. I mean, that then that now I look at it. So you, why didn't you explain what a pension was <laughs> idiots you know nobody's thinking about a pension at 20 years old no though. no 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 no, no. <laughs> but anyway so I've done, I've done a lot of different things with magic since i took that path list taken my goodness over the past 30 years it's been it's been a ride man it's been a ride so let's talk about some of the things you're doing now oh man um well now is different but you know pre-pandemic i mean i was a i'm a successful magician so i do a lot of strolling events walking around corporate events stand up comedy magic at corporate events, private parties, weddings, bar mitzvahs. I do a lot of all of them, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty busy guy, a couple hundred gigs a year and plus. I'm on the move. Uh, I have a team building business as well. Thankfully, I have a big one coming this week. I'm excited. I'm so excited to get back to doing a real, a real team building. I get 70 people from a, a growing healthcare, like a, like a spinal and um, rehab uh, firm. Really excited about that. So, so, uh, so magic as a, I want to stop there. I want yeah. the magic as a team building skill. I think it's a, an extraordinary idea. And for the main reason that I don't know anybody that is repulsed or disgusted by being amazed by sleight of hand. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine, when he said, listen, why you, you know, I was looking for a different way, you know, income opportunities when I was younger and a good buddy of mine. He said, listen, well, you should think about a team building, right? My friend, David Goodman. And he said, uh, you know, I was at one the other day and it was, you know, it was a cooking team building and some people could cook. They took over. Five people make the entree, five make the appetizer, some make the dessert, and then you serve it and it's a nice team building night out at a fancy restaurant. You go back, the, the chef teaches you how to do it. He said, well, you should do one with magic because nobody knows anything about magic. They'd be on an even playing field. So boom, I put this together and for 20 years now. It's been a pretty good, solid part of my income. And then I go to these the Pfizer's and the, you know, Novartis's and J&J and, you know, Goldman Sachs, my, probably my biggest customer of the year, whatever. So I did these team buildings and put magic in the hands of each team. I, I informed them a little bit, obviously, how a little, little trick works, but make this trick a metaphor for your business. And manage, management would have, you know, talked to me prior about certain hot button topics that I, I could draw from and say, okay, listen, guys, I know you're dealing with 30% less in tech spending and you've got to make this certain thing happen. So... Or your increased global communications, it, it has to happen. You guys have, you're, you've got some failures. You know, you're, you're trying to increase your, 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 bring up, raise your game in that regard. So here's a piece of rope. Every time you cut it, you're going to tell a breakdown story of your communication. Act it out. I got a big table full of costumes. It becomes instantly like Halloween, super fun comedy. Everybody's improv acting out the breakdowns of communication. Santa and the elves, all of a sudden they wake up with they, every elf speaks a different language. What are they going to do now? It's babble at the North Pole, right? <laughs> so, and they'll, they'll just make up these skits because I got these costumes to get them thinking, right? And so each team now makes up a skit and presents the skit 
as a metaphor for their business and a solution, then we'll each get up and perform for each other. And it is hysterical to see people that you have no idea what someone's capable of until you put a clown nose or a Santa hat and like a feather boa or a pimp hat on and let them just go and talk about their company issues and act out problems and solutions. So I love doing those. It's really fun. And I got to see people turn into kids. They love it. Every every time I, I see a trick, yeah. every time I turn into that 12-year-old kid who becomes amazed, I think it's a wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, it is fun. And, and they, they put the magic in their hands to do it. They're just amazed they can do it. They they love that they amaze each other. And it's just, oh, man, it's, it's just putting a bunch of real heavy professionals in a sandbox to have fun. But they walk out saying, whoa, we never thought about that issue in this way before. You know, Edison's got a great quote. Of course we're having fun. How else are we going to ever get anything serious done around here? So I give them a chance to go on the sandbox and play with the heavy issues in a light way. And what comes out of it is interesting. And I've gotten emails of like, wow, well, one of the things we did as a joke, like we used some ideas we that came of that. And I had Novartis CEO tell me, this is the best team building I've ever seen. He goes, you killed that thing. That was one of my proudest moments when he told me that. Yeah. So yeah, team building, the corporate gigs, stand up, whatever, to, to work at the Magic Castle, either in the close-up room with that 20 seats. That's the most famous, like our Carnegie Hall of close-up magic is the close-up room at the Magic Castle. YouTube will fern and you'll be able to see see this. It's 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 pretty amazing stuff. I've seen it. <laughs> I've got, yeah, there's some clips on my on willfern.com on my, my trailer of me working at the Magic Castle close-up room. Like that's It's the most important work place to work for a close-up magician with 20 people around you doing that stuff you probably see on Penn & Teller Fool List, like close-up magic, right? That's most of what's on there. That's an honor to, to work there. And I do the cruise ships. I work for Crystal Cruises. I do two or three cruises a year. I don't want to lose my land business, so I just do a two or three cruises a year doing, again, Magic Castle at sea. So they, they've replicated that for 20 people on the cruise ships doing two shows a night before each dinner, just 20 people. I might do it maybe six nights out of 18 on a cruise. Really sexy, really fun. And again, people from all over the world, all nationalities watching you close up. It is lights out energy and fun, right? I love doing those too. So yes, but on down to, I still do the random birthday party for a kid, you know, client. Because one time a guy sees me at a team building. He hires me for his kid's bar mitzvah. His aunt, his uncle's whatever, having a party. And I do all these. And I, I try to do as many as I can because it's all hybrid vigor. It all makes you a better entertainer. It enables you to connect better with all ages all the time. That's what's steeled me and enabled me to have a good career. Because whatever, wherever I am, somebody sees me, you know what? You'd be good at this. And I just say, okay. And that's what I've done to grow my skill set for near 30 years now. More than that, it's 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 never being afraid to try something new within oh, yeah. your field. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I go on about that. <laughs> all, all the kind of gigs you do as a magician in 30 years. I mean, I've done a dog funeral. Remember the odd wait, couple? Wait, 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 a dog yeah, yeah, like, funeral. Literally, like, remember the, on the odd couple, there was the, the, the death of Scott Moskowitz. Right? And, and the, uh, the, um, the um, what do you call it, the thing you put in the ground, what do you call it, the, the tombstone was a fire hydrant engraved. Here oh lies Spot Moskowitz, oh dog God. and friend. Spot anyway, so Moskowitz. I did a dog, you know, I've done so many gigs, so many, I mean, from nursing homes, I mean, yeah, whatever, man, I've done a lot of gigs. And it's, it's I know some guys who don't want to do all the, the $100, you know, gigs, but I do them all, man. But if you, you love it, better. Yeah. You if just, you if you love it, hey, listen. Yeah. If it was a drag, I, I get it. Exactly. But, but making people, yeah, making people happy is the goal. You'd be surprised how many ways people will give me a call and say, "Can you make these people happy <laughs> in this situation?" It's hysterical. So you're in here on the Suffering Podcast. I know you've listened to a couple different episodes. I ask everybody's opinion to give me feedback on air. Not so much to hear your opinion, but I want to make this concept grow because every episode I learn something new. 
I want to know what your thoughts are on the Suffering Podcast. Yeah, I love it, man. And I'm not blowing smoke, but you found your thing, brother. All right, because <laughs> you, more than anybody I know, like just even today coming here, a guy's like, what are you doing? Suffering? What? I said, let me tell you about my buddy, you know, from lineman to artist to distiller, car salesman, computer tech guy. I mean, when we were doing computer tech sales, whatever, selling those websites back in the day, to, to policeman, to construction guy. I mean, on and on, I mean, all the stuff you've done, but it informs this so well and provides you the backdrop to really handle that chair and the, the people I've heard you interview. It's great. I said, it's, it's, and I think it's hearkening back or given modern form to the, uh, the ancient men's hut, you know, time immemorial There's always the men's hut going back to our earlier society where a place men could go and not to be sexist or exclusionary. This is welcome to all, right? But to have that place where you go to ask and give advice, show vulnerability, have community in a way beyond the average workaday world that we had as a society in America, I think even up to 30 years ago, the, you know, the Elks and the this and all the different fraternal organizations. Remind me later to tell you, I'm actually the current cover boy of Moose International Magazine. There's a story, 150,000 magazines dropped last week in America with my picture on the cover. It's a very funny story. Don't worry, we'll find it and I'll put it on the website for everybody very, to see. Very funny. Anyway, how that happened. But yes, yeah, so we don't have that anymore because we're so busy, 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 busy. To have this is important and I, and Godspeed. I think it's great. So one of the questions I always like to ask my guests is, what do you think your greatest suffering story is? Oh, yeah, I was <laughs> I was expecting that one. I thought about it a lot, you know, but I guess definitely, man, losing both my parents in very different ways, right? So mom died, getting an MRI for back surgery. And oh, by the way, uh, it's not really from your spine you're having problems. You've got three months to live. You're riddled with cancer. You know, it's terrible, awful, you know, and it was three months to the day almost. I mean, it was one of those things. But we were able to say goodbye, and my mom was kept out of much pain due to how they do it at hospice. So, and having enough time to say goodbye and it's not the box and you never, you know, you don't, you don't want to check any box, but my mom wouldn't want to have suffered for years. She wouldn't want to have gone through chemotherapy and diminished life. She's like, I'm, if I'm going to die in five years, take me now. That's my mom, man. So three months, honest to God, I, uh, I thank God it's almost the way it should have been. Of course, I wish it was longer, right? Okay. But that's how it went. But my dad at 49, heart attack one night, gone. I'm a 12-year-old kid. I go to bed happy. I wake up, and my dad's croaking at 4 in the morning. I hear him. I, 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 I freak out. My brother comes in. He tries the CPR. The ambulance comes. He's gone by the time I get to the hospital. And so I never forget, you know, walking out of Muhlenberg Hospital when I'm 12 years old, the sun coming up, and everything's different ahead of us. There wasn't a lot in the bank, I don't think, or insurance, and mom had to take care of three boys now. Luckily, two of them, really, well, it wasn't that big. The other boys were in college and out going to be taking care of themselves. And I was just had to get me to the finish line of getting me through college and I would be fine. So we did it. Okay. My mom worked hard and she took some time off and got, you know, started a career and, and made some, you know, had a nice little job. She did fine. So I wanted it for nothing. But losing, you were losing your hero when you're that age. And that was awesome. Here's what I think informed some of my life choices was him. You know, he was a hard worker, man. He was 6.30 out in the morning, coming back at 3.30, out again at 6 and back again at 11. That was four nights a week, Friday nights off, Saturdays, he'd go and put, he was an oil burning repairman during the day uh, for most of his career. Later, he worked for Sunoco, right? So he, he was a manager of, of a refueling station out in the suburbs the last few years of his life. And then he, for years, he taught at this, you know, he taught how to do that and oil burners and HVAC at, at night and then became the night manager at that place, you know, at the Lincoln Tech and Union. I was always thought, I didn't see dad enough. He's always working 
you know, even weekends, you go out and put in gas grills in, in people's backyards. My brother and, and I would go, we would dig the little trenches and he'd put the gas line in and he'd put, you know, we'd do that on the weekends. So we just make extra money. He wanted college for us. None of our family had gone to college prior. We were the first generation to go to college. So he wanted that for us bad. And he, he paid the price. I think the pressure and the, he was a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, but that's, that's a lot of hours, a lot of stress, too. But that's a great right? example. Yeah. You set a great example exactly. for you. So I, I want for nothing as far as the example in front of me, but Again, why did I choose what I do? I didn't want to not be there for the family. I, and so maybe that's why I chose a less, it's hard to say. I chose an easier path. Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was hard. I mean, I mean, listen, being self-employed, it's got its own stresses, of course. But yeah, I chose an easier path. I didn't want to die at 49 from stress. So I saw a chance to make more money with less hours than most all my friends that were working, hammering out jobs as middle-class guys. So it, I think it informed some of my choices in life. I think you made the right but choice. But I had that role model to make sure that I did work hard at what I was doing. I definitely think you made the right choice. Yeah. I yeah, really yeah, do. Yeah. So that was, that was my greatest suffering. Yeah. You're this professional magician and every person who I've seen look at you do your act, they become this 12-year-old kid again. <laughs> this, this amazed, you're bending reality. And they know that it's not wizardry. They know that, it, but they can't figure out how they do it. I just think it's a wonderful thing. How did you come? What's the genesis of you being a magician? I saw when I was seven years old, my brother got a full scholarship to Clemson for the high jump. He was, I think, runner up in New Jersey, jumping six, eight or something in high school, which was really good back in 72. Wound up jumping over seven feet, well over seven feet and was one of the top, you know, whatever, all American, uh, almost made the Olympics. So anyway, so just to say thanks for, you know, my brother going to school on a scholarship, we invited the coach for dinner. I don't know what Clemson was back in 72. Save us five grand, we'll buy you pizza. It was probably three, <laughs> two grand. Who knows what Clemson was in 72. And so we had this guy over to the house for dinner, his coach, John Constantine Mitsopoulos. Great middle name. That was his magician name, right? <laughs> anyway, so we didn't know he was a very adept amateur performer, right? Not even like professionally, just an amateur close-up guy, sleight of hand guy. And New York was the mecca of close-up magic in the world in those days. So Mitzo would hang out at Ruben's Deli on Saturday mornings and afternoons and, and hang around with the top close-up magicians in the world and learn at their elbow. Just to say thanks, just to be a guy, just to be a guy, to say thanks for buying us a pizza, have a little pizza party. Let me go to the car. Oh, I'm going to come back. Opens up his attache case and two hours regaled us with this really, I mean, world-class close-up magic. It was great. Blew my little seven-year-old mind. When, and I, I say when he opened up his hand and that little red hanky was gone, the big bang of my brain exploding into the universe is still expanding. Like I had to, I had to know where that red hanky went. I had to know. So he, how do I get to be like you, mister, right? Go to the library, get a book. So... I'm at the library the next morning and I'm, I'm the first guy there. And I get, I get a magic book and that's all I did. I had that book out for two and a half, probably three years. It's a 400 page book on card tricks. Shouldn't have been in any library, way beyond my grasp. But that's all I had. That's all I had was one book. Complete illustrated book of card magic by Walter B. Gibson, the guy who did The Shadow. Right. A dozen magic books as well. Boom, that was it. I was in. And it was, and it, it was good. It was hard. It was the first thing I ever came across that was hard. Right. School's easy when you're seven, eight, nine years old. Right. But it was hard. It was arcane language. It was complex. It was palming cards and back palms and multiple dip, up, 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 all the pass. And but you kept going. Though. But I, I hacked at it. I hacked at it. I did what I could because it was so hard. It, it held me. And next thing I know, he comes to the house. I'm like, Let me see some of these tricks you're doing. Your brother tells me about. And he watches me. He goes, whoa, where'd you learn that from? I went to a library, got a book. What book did you get from in the library? I bring out the book, thumping on the table. Goes, Whoa, don't hurt yourself. Bring that book back. You don't need to be in that book. You need to be, let me write down a book you can get at the bookstore. Oh, yeah? 
well, I'm going to stay right in that book then, buddy. I'm going <laughs> everything in that book. So I did, right? I did whatever I could out of that book. And it got me, it was a painful process, but I bludgered through it. And I, I found some things I could do and I started on the road. And he guided me from there when he'd see me and give me a more appropriate book or a couple of tricks. And I became as, he did big illusion shows as well eventually. But do you and, see what you just did there? So yeah. you ran at that challenge. Oh, yeah. All right. So I listen to this thing every day and it's it's called Dan's Winter Wealth. He's a, I think he's a Montclair professor and he doesn't have a website or anything. He gives you a phone number to call and it mm-hmm. goes to a voicemail. It sounds like one of these voicemails that's on a cassette tape. I'm going to give out this number. It's 973-743-4690. So he just told a story and it's about a strong man at the circus. And he would go and perform around everywhere and he'd break chisels and he'd tear the New York phone book in half. Well, one day somebody gives him a chisel. And he can't break it. You, you saw the look in his face. This light bulb went on. He got excited because he couldn't do it. Right. And he yeah. worked at it and he worked at it until mm-hmm. he was able to break that chisel. That's cool. And those are the people right. that really are successful. Yeah. The yeah. people who yeah. run towards that adversary, adversity and take that challenge on. And that sounds like what your genesis of magic was. And it's funny. And as much as during COVID now, you know, just a quick sidebar, I'm teaching kids magic online around the country. I I bought a great franchise and whatever, you know, maybe we can talk about that later. But this Kid Wizard Club thing I do where I'm teaching kids exactly the right steps, how to learn magic as a total beginner. And that's got its own value. But there's something else about tossing the kid in the pool and letting them figure out how to swim. And I did that in magic. I took up, it was, this book was so far beyond what I should have been reading, but I found the way to success in it, I've, you know, and kids don't get that. They're, they're too handheld. They don't just say, here, go play. I remember, I remember just taking a, when I was a kid, I was a kid, I'd take a, a tape measure and a ball bearing and I'd entertain myself for hours, dude, days of different ways. I could roll that thing down, see how far I can get that thing to roll over how many humps and things and whatever. All those little creative things you do as a kid, I would always want that creative challenge to make something out of nothing. And magic was the ultimate make something out of nothing. You know, actually fool somebody with nothing but my pure skill. And these weren't magic props. It was real cards. So I wasn't just opening the box, hitting the button. Like I had to do real sleight of hand. And my brothers were brutal. And they let me know if it sucked. So there was kind of a, a crucible of fire at, at nine years old. You know, getting ridiculed <laughs> that I couldn't do the move right, right? My, what, are you, what are you trying to palm a card? Your hand, you can't. We see it. It's sticking out. You <laughs> so. are actually sitting in, I've named this studio the Crucible of Fire because oh, this is where successful and greatness is forged. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. perfect. But you didn't get a couple tricks and then hit the road no, no, for, for magic. No, no, this was no, no, this no. was a hobby for you? Yeah, just a total yeah. hobby, little kid. Just what I what I did because school was easy and it wasn't much of a challenge. And my mom, we, we weren't, I wasn't allowed out at night as a kid. Sundown, you're home. I was home at night. School was done. School work's done at 7.30, 8, whatever. And this is what I did. I logged my hours. I had my little book. Like every day, 30 minutes of practice, 90 minutes of practice, three hours of practice. I add up every week and month and how many hours I put in. Like I was putting in the hours, right? And if I couldn't palm the card, well, I've got to palm it on an angle. Find a way to do it, right? So I was creating my own little techniques and stuff and, and, and forging how to be good at it from a very young age. And, and, you know, that, I never forgot that. It was never easy for me. I don't think anything that's, that's sustainable is ever easy because then you just don't appreciate the end product. Right. You carried this hobby for quite some time. How long did it take before you were confident to do it in front of somebody? You know, Not uh, talking family and friends, in front of right, yeah, somebody yeah, yeah, who yeah. doesn't know Will Fern. Right, yeah. So, so it, it, was a long, it was a long process. I was a shy kid, right? So even my mom would have to really push me hard to even perform for an aunt or an uncle. 
uh, or somebody like that. So eventually I would do that. And then I think I, my first, first public performance, one of my, my, my auntie Anne, God bless her, she hired me as my, when I was in early high school, I had an iteration of Clarence the Beach Bum Magician. Right, so I wear a beach like a beachcomber hat and a flat, like a flat floral shirt, and it was magic. Was all stuff I found on the beach. The message in the bottle. What's the message? Well, it's a prediction. Okay, and then and, and the the can. What's in the can? Okay, now the can disappears and it changes to this or that. So everything was just organic beach stuff. I, I would do magic with right. So this little act I had, and my aunt hired me to perform for her ladies' club at the church. But it was a big deal. I took it serious, right? You know. And so I made my, my, I think she paid me out of her pocket 20 bucks or whatever it was. Got, I thank God because I was too shy to have done it, but she challenged me to do it. And then, then cut to, it was just a hobby, high school, college. It's what I did on the long track drives, you know, with my friends, you know, to the track meets, whatever. At 28, I was managing a store in a mall. I was, I was thinking I was going to get my own frame shop one day. So I was managing a frame shop in a mall. Owner of the pizzeria at the, you know, next door, the Bridgewater Commons became a good buddy because I would just eat pizza all the time, right? He challenged me one day. He goes, you're always doing magic. You're always doing magic. You always say you want to do magic at restaurants. What are you doing? You're 24 years old or whatever I was. When are you going to do it? You've been talking about it since I'd known you. I said, well, you know, I, I'm working on to get my thing. I got to get the right guy. Hey, listen, what are, you, what are you doing tomorrow night? I got an idea. I, I'm not doing, I, it's my night off. You know that. Thursday's my night off. He goes, well, you're hired. Here's the money. He put a hundred bucks in my hands. He goes, you're my magician tomorrow night. Either come to the restaurant perform for my patrons or you're full of shit. I'm tired of you talking about your dream. It's now. Talk about getting thrown in the deep end of the pool. Yep. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? You're right. If I don't, if I can't do it now, I've been working on this stuff for 20 years. I'm full of shit. I'm never going to do it. So the next night I went up to a table. I was so freaking nervous. I bought my, I went out, I bought a, I bought this Barney purple blazer and this black t-shirt, black pants, black shoes, silver belt. Like I was a cheesy looking dude. First table. I saw nervous. I, tanked the first drink it was terrible i blew it out of the water and i just laughed and said ma'am sir i gotta tell you what you're the first people i've ever done close-up magic for my dream and i don't want it to die may i please come back and do another drink for you <laughs> and they said absolutely young man that's a great story so i went back i got a different trick i went back and i and went well you know Thank God. And then uh, the very first trick was a tank. It was hysterical. Yeah, but you could have quit it then. That oh, time. no, no. I wasn't going to quit, man. No, no. I, 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 dreamt it, I dreamt it into existence. Finally, Gino got me over the edge. That's where I started. I say hone your craft to in front of a crowd, but a craft like yours, what I've seen is magic goes in waves. There's different trends inside magic. Right. I know that if you don't adapt or learn and grow, oh, yeah. you're going to die yeah. and oh, nobody's yeah. going to hire you. Nobody's going to hire you to see the same act year after year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And not that I have an act. I mean, there's a huge repertoire. I have, I'm known to have a really large repertoire among my friends. I publish from my fraternity, right? So I have a book, DVDs, several books, and I got a set of DVDs I sell to magicians. And my, my DVD set and my, my, uh, my first book is called Bring It. So I bring a lot. You never know what you're going to be up against. They say, oh, there's going to be 50 people. Boom, 250 show up. Oh, we, had to, we, we didn't tell you we invited friends and family and, and spouses. Okay, well, I need a different show. It's going to be a bigger, bigger show. Or if you you know go close-up show, there'll be 500 people there. And you show up, oh, you know what? Uh, there was another event tonight that the, all, the whole board had to go take out. Like, now there's 50 people here. And you're it for the night. Well, the, the band couldn't make it. So you, can you do a big show? Uh, you didn't tell me I'm doing a show in front of. It's one thing if you've got 500 people. You could do the same pocket close-up strolling tricks. You only need eight or ten. But you're really good at re- you're really good at reading a room, also. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's important because if you're doing, I know you got that trick with the one handed magician. Well, you don't want to do that at a um, 
at an amputee convention. Yeah, of course. That's why you got to bring a lot because you never know what's going to be in front of you. So all of a sudden there might be a need to have a lot more material or bigger material. So I bring it. I'm ready. So I've learned that lesson, right? So I, I always bring way more than I need and I use what, what, I, what I need out of it. The speaker's always in the car. If I need to do a stage show, go get the speaker. Set it up, do the stage show, right? You never know what you're up against. Well, it's better than need it and not have exactly. it. Have yeah. it, not need it, than yeah. need it, and not have exactly. it. Exactly. And that's a common thing in our field, but I really live it. I, I, I know a lot of magic and I try to be on top of it. I'm always learning new things, you know, buying new stuff, staying on top of it. You know, even card magic alone. You know, you know card magic alone is, the most, is more published than any art. Well, you're still seven years old in your mind. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I still you're still, love you're, it. you're yeah. still grasping onto that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still always reading and learning. Always, always, always. Don't tell my wife I bought a few, I bought a few things yesterday. And she, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I told her I would, I, I don't, I would minimize my buying during the COVID time, but I, I got to keep with the, up. With the money you make from the next show, you buy her something nice and that'll, exactly, smooth, yeah, that'll exactly, smooth it yeah. over. Yep. So you've had a lot of different successes. If you could pick out one of them, what do you think your greatest success is? Oh, wow. Man, I guess, you know, professionally, you know, to win that, you know, the International Brotherhood of Magicians is a big magic organization, of course, the biggest one we have. And they have, uh, every year they have championships in different, you know, close-up magic, stand-up magic, whatever. That's you being judged by your peers, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And although there is an even bigger federation of international magicians that they do a juried contest, you know, the only, the biggest award you can win in strolling magic, which is that walking around, working out of your pockets at parties, the biggest one is for the, the International Brotherhood, right? So I won that one year. And I didn't even know I was going to do it. I got challenged on the spot. Like I went there to perform in the stand-up contest because I never performed in a contest. One of my friends challenged me. So why don't you perform in a contest? Maybe you won an award. It'd be cool. It'd be good for your resume. Oh, okay, whatever. So I go and I don't, I don't win the comedy award because I think as I went long because everybody laughed so hard at my mind-reading blow-up doll that I went over time. I would have been on time if they, yeah. You brought out aloe? I did aloe vera, the mind-reading mermaid for my peers. And they laughed so much. I just went an extra 30 seconds in the middle of the routine and I didn't finish in time. So whatever, I got disqualified. I don't know, who knows if I would have won. By the way, aloe is a blow-up sex doll. Right. It's a, it might, well, it's a mind-reading mermaid, if you want to look at technical. It's a mind-reading latex That looks mermaid. like there, there's a, she's got a mouth like she's singing a, uh, a chorus. Yeah, and the ping-pong ball goes in there, and mind-reading happens, and with the mystical esophageal control, that's right, mystical esophageal control, she <laughs> scribes the total of all the chosen numbers on the ball that is then Heimlicked out and found to be the number magically on the ball that wasn't there before. That three people wrote down numbers in an audience on a pad I never touch wind up on the ball. So that's my closer. And it, it, it got a great reaction from the magicians. Anyway, so anyway, so they, they ring the bell for the strolling magic contest, which is they let 50 guys from 50 different, well, actually, probably 50 guys, 60 guys from, I think it was over 30 countries, walk around the room and do magic for the tables. There's a thousand guys on, on 10 tops. So 100 tables go. And whoever, at the end of the hour, whoever gets the most applause, it's a throwdown wins. That's how they do the strolling Olympics, they call it, right? Strolling award. So a friend of mine, after they rang the bell, I said, listen, you're already a loser. You can't be a double loser. Why don't you, why don't you compete in this? I'm like, well, I didn't bring anything special. He goes, what do you need? Get, here's a deck of cards. I said, okay, give me a deck. Who's got four silver dollars? So I borrowed four silver dollars. And those are two of my favorite tricks I do with a regular deck and four silver dollars. And I won. <laughs> only, only in a room full of magicians, <laughs> you can ask for silver dollars and somebody produces four of them. Yeah, everybody would. Come on. <laughs> Most <laughs> people don't have four silver dollars in their house. <laughs> anyway, so and, that was fun. You know, I just, I guess because I talk fast and in most magicians, I got to more tables, who knows, but I got the most applause. It was fun. So that was, that was pretty cool. And, you know, getting a standing ovation at a magic convention of your peers. Another, another time I did that, that was cool. Oh, man, you know what? I always... I always think that the most proud I ever was, I'm at a restaurant, Famish Frog in Morristown, right? And it's a great family restaurant. 
It's got an executive lounge, cigar bar area, and like a singles bar, right? So I'm in the family restaurant. And I do magic for a table of a mom, her daughter, and her, and her mother. So three generations. And we're having a good laugh. And I go back. I'm by the waitress stand and um, just having a glass of water. Going to go back out to more tables. And the lady says, hey, listen, by the way, don't go back to table 17 over there with the three ladies. Because the lady in the table behind them thought you were having too much fun. And she goes, yeah, go figure. But that, she, she wants a quiet night out. I'm like, eh, it's a Wednesday night at a family restaurant. Come on, we work. Okay, fine. So I, I walk over and I was going to say something to the lady, but she really didn't look happy at me. And so I just walked to the table of the three ladies. I said, listen, um, ladies, and I thought, sorry, they called me back. So they called me over and I looked at the lady. I didn't know what to say to the, the, the woman who was miserable. And I went to the three ladies. They wanted to say, can you show us some more? And I said, well, you know what? I would, but the woman behind me right now, she complained that we were having too much fun. We were too loud. And I, I, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> and the lady looked over. She goes, oh, believe me, Betsy lived down the street. And believe me, she's never happy. Don't worry about her. But if you can find a way to come back and, and entertain us, we promise we'll, we'll keep it down. But we're having so much fun. So eventually I went back after they were done and I did something else, right? And okay, I didn't want to do too much. And I left. Okay, have a good night, lady. We'll see you next, see you next week. Okay, we'll see you next week. And I go to the singles bar. I'm hanging out doing a set for a bunch of single guys at the bar, right? And regulars are just, hey, Will, see here. Come on, what's your new trick? So I go over and I've got these eight guys hanging on me, having fun. These, these like construction guys. So we're having a ball doing magic, right? And I see this woman kind of behind me. And I didn't register until I finished. And I look and I thought she was just watching the magic, but it's, it's the woman from the table. And she goes, do you have a minute? And she was looking really serious. I said, yeah. She goes, come here. So we walk over to the side where there's an empty table. She goes, I don't know who you are but I have to hug you. And she hugged me with a tear in her eye, like warmly hugged me. I said, Mary, what's up? She goes, well, my husband died a year ago and I have not seen my mother laugh since, much less with my grand, my, 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 my mother with my daughter. And thank God for people like you. Because you're an angel. You came to me out of nowhere. She goes, you're needed. Thank you. So the big applause oh. versus... Right. One woman coming up to you in right. a bar. And saying that I got her mom to laugh for the first time in a year. And that her and her grand, that the three generations were laughing together at the same time. And it had been a year since that happened. And that didn't go past her. And on those moments where I feel, sometimes I walk into a gig, I have this thing I call, I joke with my friends, a spontaneous burst of ludicrousness. I'm a grown man. I'm walking around doing tricks. Like I'm rolling over like a dog at tables, doing tricks for applause, trying to make people believe in magic. They know doesn't exist. And I know that they know that they know that I know doesn't exist. So to get this ludicrous thing I'm going to do as a grown man of 48 years or whatever I am, right? But every once in a while, you get one of those. And I've had a couple of those, but that was the one that hit home the most. She goes, you're needed. And I wasn't on the bill. She didn't know I was there. I just, as a strolling magician at a restaurant gig, you just walk around. Hey, folks, I want to, I hate to bother, but at some time tonight, if I can add a little fun to what you're having, I'm the house magician. I'd love to magish for you. Just let me know. And I, and I joke, yeah, I got a four-year English degree. All I got out of it was my own verb. I'm going to magish for you. But it's when you want, I'll be around. And I just kind of say something like that. And then people, oh, okay, we'll take it on. And then they invite you over. And that's what you do as a restaurant magician, right? To build your business. And that made me believe that I had made a good choice because that's... But that's what you do. You make people... good. You make people smile one smile yep. at one person at a time. Yep. Despite the spontaneous burst of ludicrousness, entertainers actually are needed. And it was a, it was a big get I never got. I thought I was just cheating the system, doing a job, making money that I should have had a real job. But no, no, this is, this is part of life, man. You got to have, got to have some joy. So you looked up to all these different magicians, whether they're just, whether they're just journeyman magicians, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Uh, did you have one person who was your your influence? Uh, well, you know what? That that uh, John was great. My, my John Mitsopoulos was a great technician, and just he made magic fun. Like when I when I first saw Magic Kev, it was it was, it was obviously our, my three brothers, my mom and dad, around a table having fun with a guy who was happy and fun. And but he would we'd invite him to a lot of family functions. Like when we get twenty, thirty people over the house for a function, we'd always invite John, and he. And God bless, he never charged us a dime. We had no idea he'd think to even pay him. But he would bust it out and rock an hour or so of, of close-up magic and everybody going crazy and yelling and laughing. And that's all I try to get to when I work now is to get people you love, high-fiving, backslapping, having a good time, getting in the sandbox of fun that magic is because it's, it's appropriate for all. It transcends age, any custom there's nothing dirty about it. It's a very clean form of entertainment that any everybody can share and enjoy, right? So when those generations come together, I remember my old aunts and my, my, my young little cousins, we'd all have fun with John. And I just want to be that and give that to people, right? So I walk in, I want people to have capital F fun like I was blessed to have it. I realized one night, that's why I do what I do. Well, you're in a... In I a, want people to experience that. You're standing on stage, so you have a bird's eye view of at least the first couple rows if it's a darker theater. Yeah. And you're going to see... All those smiling faces out there and those, right. those faces that are full of wonder. But I'll bet you with some sort of specificity mm-hmm. that you're going to see that one face that isn't. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, cruising around a party. I mean, so much of, of the work is strolling magic. And you see that immediately feedback loop, right? And people, even if they're a little more honest, they might not be honest close up because everybody's having a good time. But yeah, you see the honesty when you're on a stage. It's a different thing. You look at the audience looking at you like a TV show. It's one thing if you're in it and they're holding the cards with you and, and you're that different close-up experience. It's different on stage. It took me a while to get comfortable on stage because you see that face that doesn't have to smile because you're not right next to them and you see that complacency. And it's really hard as a performer to not want to run to the next bit that's going to work. So for years, and I still have problems with this, I would go too fast over the setup to get to the punchline. But if you go too fast past the setup, punchline being the end of the effect you're not going to get that response you wanted because you didn't set that stage correctly. The initial condition versus the final result. There has to be enough time they can anticipate and enjoy the ending that they don't see coming, but they kind of imagine is the most logical way to go. In other words, the, the hanky vanishes. Well, eventually it winds up in the box, behind the box, in the box, in the box, okay? Initial condition. Hanky's real. All of a sudden it vanishes. If you run too fast to the solution, there was no buildup. So you got to build it up enough, but not too much, that they lo- they forgot where it was at the beginning. If you disconnect that initial condition to the final result and you go too far with your story, it waters down what could be powerful about that. So that, yeah, on stage, and that's just one little aspect. That's the, the, Clark the timing Gris- aspect. That's the Clark Griswold effect. What's so that? I don't know if you've ever seen Vegas Vacation, but uh-huh. Siegfried and Roy take Clark Griswold up on stage in the beginning of the show. Right. And he doesn't come out until the end of the show, and he misses the entire show. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the Clark Griswold. So anyway, that's just one aspect. The speed of what we're doing, much less, is it the right jokes? Are they appropriate for the room? Not that they're ever going to be dirty, but is it appropriate for the room? You know, am I engaging the women enough? If it's all just look at what I can do, women prefer more mentalism and mind reading stuff. And so you want to put a little of that in there. But if you go too far with that and you take that thing too far into the, that, well, am I losing the young kids? So sometimes that, that mixed crowd is really hard to read. But again, walking in, looking at the crowd, I can pretty much guess what to do. And it's a matter of tweaking it along the way. All the gigs you break down. And you realize what you did wrong, take notes, and what you do better next time. Well, you right. got to be willing to go through that 
suffering as a performer to either be proficient in whatever you're lacking right. or drop that from your repertoire. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes you got to kill your babies, kill your darlings and, and you know, the tricks you love the most. Sometimes you don't, the people don't love them that much. So you got to move on past them. But comedians know this. I, I wish I was an actor. Hey, tell me what to say, when to say it, how to say it. I wish I could sign up for that. Magician, you can go anywhere, any point you want. You know, you still, you're restricted by the bones of the effect to get to the solution that you, you, you want. But man, you could do a trick different next time, do a different trick you had planned in the show because of the way people are getting, they're also way more combative than you thought. So I'm going to pull out a different trick, right? You know, it's way more creative and infinitely adaptable than people understand. And it's nerve wracking sometimes to make all those choices. But again, you do it enough and you can find that sweet spot every time. It's a real talent to be a performer like that. So you've gone through this this life of being a professional magician. I know it didn't start out that way. You had several other job jobs. You talked worked, right. you worked in a framing store, right. and then you sort of did this on the side. Yep. Will has always been one of my favorite success stories, and I wanted to tell this a little bit. So Will and I met many, many years ago. He was working for another company. I think I was selling cars at the time. And then we started working at this company together where we were the first two employees there. We put together the desk, for Christ's sakes. Dot com, boys. Yeah, we worked We worked there for about a year and a half. One day, Will comes in. He goes, uh, I'm leaving. I'm like, what do you mean you're leaving? What's what's going on? What are you leaving? He goes, well, I'm going to give Magic a go. And I remember those words specifically. I don't remember the whole conversation, but yep. I remember you yep. saying, I'm going to give Magic a go. A go again, because I had done 92 <clears throat> to 99 or 92 to 96 or so in Jersey. Then I moved to Barbados and did Magic down there. I didn't know you did it professionally then. Though. Oh, yeah. I was doing Magic tables and, 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 and stuff. Yep. From 92 to 96. And I moved to Barbados. I spent four years down there. My brother had a, had a blues bar restaurant. And I went down to visit and pretty much stayed four years. It's a it's short you know, version of the story because they didn't have any magicians down there really. And I just filled the niche and I found work easily and often. And I was busy down there. And then I eventually came back home, whatever. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get a real job, find a real girl, married, tired of working Saturday nights. Never, it's very tough dating, being an entertainer, working nights and weekends, right? So I took that sales job with Lojack, selling Lojacks, and I got another sales job. And then next thing I know, I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to work for, you know, Mark Vesper, our, our you know, my, my buddy who you became friends with, going on as a head of sales at a company. He said, well, thinking of a change, I'd like to have you on the sales force here. Okay, fine. So, okay, so another sales job. So, yeah, so it was about a year and a half of sales jobs right. when you met me that I'd done magic for eight years. Then I did it. And then at a year and a half or so of doing it. And, and then with you, I decided to go back. Well, you, you had told me once that you never felt gainfully employed unless you had a nine to five job. Yeah. Yeah. I always felt like it was, it was too easy. Like I'm getting paid this much to do this. I always felt like I, like I, I should suffer more, but no, I, you know, it's a different kind of suffering working nights and weekends as a, as an entertainer, you know, but then you have that epiphany and I, I never really got into the minutia of yeah. what broke in you to say, I'm giving this a go for real. Yeah, yeah. Because it was never my passion. You know, I was never, I was still reading books on magic while I should have been reading books on sales. I was still in the mirror hours a night working on routines because that was my passion. And I was doing sales okay. Never what I thought about when I got up. Never what I thought about when I went to bed at night. I don't know if any salesman does, but I wasn't. I had something that that was that. So I'm like, who, who, who am I helping? It was just, it was just, it was the right choice because I was getting miserable. I wasn't succeeding as, as a salesperson as I knew I could as a magician. And I was seeing, and I've been dreaming of bigger things I could do starting the team building aspect. That came just as I was morphing out of sales. I had the idea to start the team building business. So I thought I could be higher priced, 
offer more to, to these better agents that I could not just be a strolling guy or maybe a comedy comedy show guy, but also do team building as well and do more at these events that I would go to. That's what it was. I was able to now go to an event from a top agent, get top dollar, doing close-up magic, maybe a show, and the team building as well. So I saw that opportunity and I said, I'm going to lean into it. I want to make this much this year, then ne- twice the next year. And I made goals and I hit them and I stayed in. How many people do you think that live their lives like that, where they're willing to be in a job that they hate, enduring all this involuntary suffering, rather than take that leap and follow your dream and just give it a shot? Yeah. Because you never know what you're capable of until you give it a shot. And if you've never given it a shot, you're definitely going to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you stepped over that line and you decided to put in that voluntary suffering. And that's why you were one of my favorite success stories. And I tell your story all the time. But I'm sure it wasn't easy along the way. I'm sure there was a lot of times of of doubts doubts and darkness. And So was there ever a time that you, after you had left the traditional nine to five job where you Mm -hmm. may have gone Mm -hmm. back? Well, I was lucky, man, that my family, like really supported me and thought I was doing the right thing. That's a big deal right there. Nobody, nobody cutting at your ankles. A lot of my friends at that point were magicians. So they wanted me to do it. They pulled me into it. Like, what are you doing this nine to five job for? You're a good magician. Go do it. But I, you know, there, there's the doubts waiting for that phone to ring, man. It's real. You got bills to pay. You Especially when you got to pay your rent. Yeah. If not the mortgage, you know, eventually. So yeah, you got to make that phone ring, bro. So you're just tough waiting for it. And you're always wondering, ah, man, I got my buddies who do this part-time. Good God, I should have did this part-time. I, should, I could have been a teacher do this part-time. Well, boy, I could, I could double my teacher's salary working three hours a week in magic. Imagine that. Do one bar mitzvah on a Saturday night. I'd make more than my brother made in a week of teaching. Damn. So it was attractive because it wasn't as many hard hours, but it was hard to make the phone ring. Let's double it short. I was able to do it because I didn't have a family and kids, but did I not take on a family and kids because I wasn't making the solid money I could count on. Looking back at 56 now, there's suffering either way, Kev. I suffered enough to get good at what I did, to get through that crucible of, of making a living doing it. The phone rang. I was lucky. The phone always rang. I always made a living. But I didn't make time for the other things that maybe I wish I had. You know, I wish I had a family. I wish I'd met Vanya or someone else years before and committed to somebody and made it happen. That dream kept being deferred because I was always, every week was so different. Travel, this. Years slipped by so fast when you're an entertainer because there's no schedule. Every day's different, man. Every day's different. But that's what's attractive to it, probably. It is. It's attractive as well because I'm an ADD kind of a guy, so it was an attractive aspect of it. But again, it's suffering. Well, so but, you know. in those times of darkness, what brought you back in those times where I'm sure there was a time in your career where you almost said, uh, this is just going to be a part-time thing. It's not a full-time thing. What brought you back into getting you reinvigorated in <laughs> the next gig, in the always next, the, the next, next gig. gig, the next gig, the next gig, getting out there. You know, I was lucky, man. And, and, and again, I could have been a much better businessman. You look back and like, I could have been a better businessman about my magic, but I was so focused on being awesome at what I did. I wasn't awesome at building a business. Show and business, you know, the old adage, business is twice the length of show in letters. So that's where you should put more of your time. But I was lucky that I was, well, I don't know if lucky. I put all my eggs into the show aspect of it and the phone rang. I was one of the busier guys I knew, you know, making, you know, six figures pretty quick out of the block. So I went to do it and I, it was fine. The guy's like, whoa, you're doing really well. But I could have done so much better. 
I wasn't among the best in income, but I didn't prioritize that. I just wanted to be really good, be so good the people in front of me couldn't ignore me and they'd hire me for the next event. But I never became, I never became so good that I got the call from a TV show or this or that. But then again, I never even went out there to even try for that. I was humble. I just want to be a good local guy working a lot. I look back now, my suffering was that I didn't take on a coach or mentor that could have said, hey, listen, you're pretty good. You're 35, you're 40, you're 45. You're pretty good now. You really start need to knock it on these doors. Get a real agent from real opportunity. I was just taking the hand, they call the ham and agar gigs. I got enough of them to make a living, but I could have maybe aimed higher. So every artist is going to look back. But hindsight's always 20, 20. Right, it is. If you were to go but out there. I'm in it. But I'm suffering now for the things I didn't do. Think about it this way. Here's a different way to turn that. Yeah. If you were to go out there and chase that dollar doing that profession, right. you may have lost your love for it. Exactly. So then you, you'd be nowhere where magic as a kid was something that was wonderful and amazing and intoxicating. And now all of a sudden you're an adult and it becomes rote right. and it becomes right. mechanical and something you just don't enjoy anymore. Yeah. I, I look at some guys who, I, I know friends of mine who have done TV, some TV work and TV series and it, it's, it opens up doors, but you know, going through it, they didn't like it. They didn't have all the autonomy they wanted. They had to do things they didn't want to do. It's funny. It's just, the word keeps coming back. It's all suffering. Like I'm suffering for things I didn't do. I wish I did them. I would have did things differently. And that's, that's everybody. But as a, as a, we're called variety artists. There's no clear career path. No two magicians have the same career. No two I've ever known have had the same career. That's scary. It is. That's you are real scary. You're, you're carving it out of whole cloth. Times change. Temperatures of, of what people want change, personnel, you know, uh, okay. So some certain guys had a certain look and a personality that worked well in the 80s, but they never found the way through the 90s and the grunge and the rest of it, right? So what's your look? What's your attitude? How do you inform your, uh, whatever? It's, it's really hard. And then to be a chameleon, which I turned out to be able to be, got lucky there. I was easy with that. I was pretty likable no matter what the current prevailing mode of fashion was. Because I was just me. Some guys tune into a character to attain a higher success because they're plugged into the zeitgeist of the moment. They're the Max Headroom magic. But then Max Headroom goes away, and then what are you now? I just was will, and I was just informed by heart and genuine family, and that's why I was became a party magician. Right. Okay, let's, yes. say, let's say your repertoire right. is multifaceted, and it's dynamic. I think the best word for that is dynamic. Yes. It changes for the crowd. You have different magicians. Like uh, one that comes to mind is the amazing Jonathan. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen amazing. See, he jo has an act, but I've seen the amazing Jonathan in person in mm -hmm. Las Vegas mm -hmm. and he was wonderful and he's funny, but I'll bet you 60% of what I've seen on his stage show, mm -hmm. I've already seen on TV. Right, right. Right. And now I know he's going through some health problems and things of that nature, yeah. but now he's, he was big in the nineties in the early two thousands. Right. He's gone now. Well, he nearly died. I mean, he yeah, was on death's door. Yeah, he pulled it back, and I think he's maybe just marshalling his, his, his health for the next step. Well, he but he made enough as a headliner for yes. a long enough time. He's, yes. He doesn't have to worry about anything now. Well, I, you know, I wish him the best. I really yeah. do, because he, yeah. he was really, he was funny. He was hey, wonderful. He, he yeah. did a great act. Yeah. But he, he doesn't do what you do. Different. Yeah, it's a whole different career. To change gears, I've sat in rooms with you while you're doing your stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's always that one guy. And I, even as a spectator, there's that one guy, I want to punch him right in the nose because <laughs> they think they know the trick and they're, they're right. ruin, what they're doing is they're ruining it for everybody else. Yeah, let me be yeah. amazed, man. Just sit back and let me be amazed. I right. know it, I know it's, it's pulling a rabbit out of your ass. I, I just want to be in wonder. I want to feel what it's like to have that 12 year old wonder sure. again. How do you deal with that guy? Yeah, there's a couple ways. Number one, 
often they just want attention. They want to have the topper line. Give it to them. I say a line. Yeah, but my wife, that <laughs> that's good, man. You know what? I may use that. That's a pretty funny line. And you just give them one. And that might just calm them down because they want to be the guy. They're, they're, they're type A. They can't help themselves. So let them be type A guy. Give them a line over top of yours. You know what I'm saying? You know, guys are always right. the topper. You have a joke. They have the next joke. You have a joke. They have the next joke. Just stop. Can I use that? That's pretty funny. And just give them power. And they usually stop right there. They just wanted to be acknowledged as being the guy. Because I'm obviously being the guy because I walk up at a party and nobody expects me to be there. I'm at some fancy event. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking at me and clapping for me. And this guy who was running the table is now... Got to up his ass. He's, he's what about me? It's an evil thing. By giving him power, you're yes. actually taking so away his power. So there's certain tricks I do. Hey, you know what? This guy's a pretty amazing guy. I said, you know what? Do me a favor. I believe in you. Throw an envelope on the table. Name a card. You know what, guys? I think this is the guy. Everybody in this room tonight, this is the guy who's going to get this. What do you mean? Just name a card. By the way, everybody who's listening right now just goes, yeah, yeah that's John. Yeah, that's <laughs> Phil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. Sally. He said, five of spades. Excellent. I opened up the envelope. There's a five of spades in it. Come on, give it up for this guy. What's your name, Joey? That's a, that's a good guy. So I also know that type walking up to a table. I know what that guy looks like. I know how it, that table's reacting and how he's marshalling that table and he's the lead guy. So I know to do, if he comes at me, immediately I'll do something like that. That's so you, you put him on your side rather than make him- Exactly. Make him your I will antithesis. never do a heckler stopper. Right. No, because all you do is you lose them and you might lose all their friends. Did you have to learn that or is oh, yeah. that something you yep. learned over time? Yep, yep, yep. I saw guys do heckler stoppers and I've been in audiences where guys would do a heckler stopper line. And you got to be a certain performer to get away with that. And I could probably do that now because I've got a fuller personality now. But when I was younger, I was just a sweetie. I'm just a nice guy. And I was very agreeable. And I was also never the guy who looked like I was trying to be smarter than anybody else. You know me. I have an English degree. I could speak in proper full sentences whenever I'd prefer to. But when I perform for people... I'm a little bit more of a knucklehead. Uh, magicians have this thing where we, uh, we try to talk about hiding our skill versus showing our skill. I could shuffle the cards perfectly, card for card, with one hand. I don't. I don't show that skill. I shuffle like you so that you don't think you, I'm above you. I'm just a guy. An amazing thing happens around me. I'm the conduit of it. I'm not necessarily the agent over you doing it. Right? If you can clear that space to be in someone's head, that you're just an enabler of the fun we're having, rather than the guy everybody is staring to in awe and wonder, you won't get antagonism. So that's something I learned over the, over, over the thousands and thousands of gigs. People aren't going to chop something down. They don't think it's above them. Be one of them. It works. I think that's, and I like it. I think it's a great, great strategy. Yeah. So your beautiful wife, mm -hmm. I don't know her all that well. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I got to be honest with you. If she's with you, it leaves me believe something's wrong with her. Right. <laughs> I had to throw a little digger in there for you. Thanks. So when you first, did she saw you on a cruise ship performing? Oh, yeah. And she wasn't into me at all. <laughs> I was going to tell you that story. Listen. My wife wasn't into me at all. So I met her. She says stalk. I just take, I took notice of her. Um, you mean magicians don't have groupies? Yeah. Okay. Right. So, uh, no, that's a big no. So yeah. So I saw her on, a, on the cruise ship. She was that, you know, I'm with a friend of mine, a celebrity chef who's on board. I know from another cruise, we're hanging out at the bar the first night of the cruise. I see this stunning curly haired Latina across the bar. I'm like, Whoa, who's she? And he goes, I don't know. Like there must be a new guest. I said, but she's not with anybody. I was dating somebody back home. I never hit on my wife on the cruise ship. I just wanted to be around her. She was so much fun. I saw everybody around her was laughing all the time. She's a real good raconteur and a person people just like to be around my wife. She's extremely sticky as a personality. Well, she exudes a lot of energy. Yeah, she's a lot of energy and she's very loving. She's the most sweetest soul, really sweet soul. So once again, going back to it, what the 
exactly. she doing with exactly. you? Exactly. So anyway, so I just wanted to be around there because she made me happy. So we just hung out in the same circle. And at the end of the cruise, we went our different ways. And I kept in touch. You know, she was in San Diego. And eventually, after six months of asking a couple times if I can come see her, and her telling me, oh, I'm going back to Cleacon to see my mom. I heard that too many times. I'm like, I don't think anybody's going back that often to see their mom in Cleacon. So I, she's not into me. And I kind of gave up. And I... I started asking for advice for the next girlfriend, and she gave it, so I knew there's nothing there. Not that I wore her down, but she allowed me to come out to California to see her. And then by that time, it had been seven months. But in that time, she saw me. Then it was love at second sight for her, because she knew who I was via the phone calls. and the. I mean, I'd call her most nights of the week. We'd have some amount of conversation, because we became friends. Right? But she comes from a very traditional Mexican background. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, 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 yeah. So you have a career path. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a look at this. That looks like the road going up to uh, the Mount, the Big Woo in Joe versus the Volcano. Right? This long winding, and winding yeah, road yeah. with no straight path. Nope. You're kind of an entertainer. You, you, got, you don't have a set schedule. You kind of do your own thing. Mm-hmm. And now you meet... This woman who comes from this traditional family, yep. what did they think of your career choice? And her her included. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's obviously an odd choice. And it's Scary for a mother. Like, you know, all, all they got to know is like, does he have a Does he live in a house? Said, yeah, he's got a house. He's got a mortgage. He does, he does okay. He does okay. You can make a living doing that? Yeah, yeah. He, really, in New York or LA or Chicago, you can make a living doing anything if you do it well enough. There's money there. There's enough people with money to pay people like me to do what I do. She, so she saw some of the... I mean, I'm not. I'm not a rich guy, but I have the accoutrements of a decent lifestyle. So she didn't doubt me when I said I made a living. Okay, all the signs are there. I'm making a living. That was. She was never a huge issue. Um, she loves the fact that I'm passionate about it. In fact, when COVID hit and I was looking at doing something else just to keep busy and make some money because all live events were gone, and God knows for how long. I knew it would be a while. And my best corporate agent told me in May. He goes, "Well, this is going to be till next fall." By the time it because the lawyers are only going to sign off on the big corporate events once a vaccine comes out and it's out enough to have efficacy enough that's documentable enough for the lawyers to sign off on it. Yeah. That's going to be a while. That's going to be a year and a half. Get get to the vaccine, maybe a year, get it out there, efficacy, proven, sign off, year and a half. I'm like, okay, what am I doing for a year and a half? I'm not, I can't just sit around. I was looking at doing different kind of sales jobs and my wife's like, listen, you know, I looked at this other thing, teaching kids magic online. I found this franchise and she's like, why would you do something that's going to go away where you could do something you could build and have fun with later on that's totally in your wheelhouse that will give you peace? And we had money in the bank. It's fine. Didn't need to go make the next dime, but I wanted to be fruitful for a year and a half. So I did that. And I'm very glad I did because now I'm up to, well, long story short, Kid Wizard Club is, uh, became a franchisee of Discover Magic. It's a great company, make incredible courses for kids, all custom-made props, these courses we teach. I'll be up, up, on, up to nine courses a week starting next week. But we're going to put so, a link to that in the show yeah, so yeah. people have a place to go so to. She's that person that would rather me make less and stay with the dream than make more and go be a you know a gutter helmet salesman or sell Anderson windows or other stuff I would have thought to go and just sell in-home sales, whatever, I could go make well, some money Well, she wants doing. a happy husband. Exactly. Above all, she wants a happy husband because yeah. a happy husband means she's going to be happy because you're going to be much nicer and kinder exactly. to be at home. The pressure is the pressure I love and the things I love to do. So it's all the, it's all joy all the time with, with, with what I do and with her. And she, she endorses it and she's been my, my best friend and, and supporter through it, man. It's been well, wonderful. Even when I tell my friends about you and they don't get it, like, what's he doing? You know, has he got a top hat? No, no. It's you walk around and he just shocks and amazes people. Did you do that with her family? 
to kind of give oh, you yeah, a, yeah, give funny. a little taste yeah, yeah, of what, what so you when do. i finally went down to mexico to meet her family and they are wonderful it's the biggest family as me or bigger and tons of cousins and all little kids running around you know we went to a cousin's wedding and they, she didn't tell her family she was bringing me and everybody like you could just see the eyes like who's the gringo right and who's <laughs> this guy with with vanya because she's now she's in her early 40s at the time and they love her to pieces. And she's the only one who went to America and kind of lives in America. Everybody else is in Culiacan, Mexico, down in Sinaloa. And like, who's the guy she's with? Because she would never bring a guy around because she wouldn't bring a guy around unless it's serious. Mm-hmm. And we were just getting on our way, but we knew it was going somewhere. So she brings me there. And oh, I remember all the guys looking at me like, who is this guy? And then as the night went on, he's a mago. A mago? And her family is all fun all the time. They are absolute hoot man pissers man all of them funny and so come on you gotta so, so i i was prepared I had a few things that would look like i was doing magic organically like just picking up a random thing on the table but i was ready so <laughs> i started just you prep like one of your high class yeah, yeah like that, listen I, I don't know i got nothing give me a give me your beer bottle empty it out okay no problem they drink it okay give me a cap and i just smacked the cap right through the bottom of the bottle like boom I've seen you do like, that before. What? And they're just, that's it. I I've that. seen you do that in front of people again, <laughs> organically, just like that. And people yeah, yeah. go, what the fuck did you just do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. So anyway, so it's a, it's a world-class close-up trick, man. It's really good. And so and I have to be a little prepared for it. Not much, but I'm prepared for it. I must have done that 40 times in the next 40 minutes. I don't know what was <laughs> being said, good or bad, but I was being led around. Next thing I know, I'm at a table and... 25 people around the table standing on chairs. Somebody got a deck of cards in their car and everybody's going nuts. Manya's like, yeah, this is, this is what he does. We're talking does. about the first yeah. family date yeah, 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 yeah. ever. But and here I am, it's at a wedding. And I'm like, and finally I was like, Vanya, I, I don't want to take over the wedding. I'm like, no, I'll do more. And I was like, no, guys, it's, it's, we should be dead. Nah, screw Ramel. They, they, they're in love. We want to watch you. And Ramel and Brenda get married, right? We, we joke now. I almost, we, we laugh. They're, they're the loveliest. I said, I just had this, put it away. I don't want to take over your wedding. Like, let's go dance. Little did I know it was going to go till five in the morning, the wedding. And I could have taken all the time I wanted to perform. But after 20 minutes of performing, I'm like, I'm not taking over, man. Like, I just want to have fun, you know? So after that, they just loved me. And I saw how I was with, I brought a bunch of kids around me and you see me with a lot of little kids. Oh, yeah. Like I'm really good playing with them as well as the sharpest of the adults. So they saw that I was a sweet guy with the little kids tussling hair and getting it with some stuff I did. And the older guys, the real tough uncles, they, I would, when I would do a card trick or two, they would just throw their hands up and like, well, this guy's good. Like, where'd you find this guy? And again, because I'm just, my best skill, Kevin, I'm likable. I, I have a way to make, ultimately in magic, the zeitgeist, what's going on is, hey, listen, I'm doing something you can't figure out. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. AKA, I'm smart, you're stupid. If that's what anybody ever realizes on any level, I'm done being well-liked. So if I got to make it palatable, that's my superhero skill, that I can make fooling you, make you like it, make it palatable, right? That's my skill set. And that's what gets me to parties. But do you understand all this hard work, all this suffering that you put in to build this career? And I know there's some things that you said that you, you looking back in hindsight, you would have done differently. Maybe it's a little bit of regret here. But do you understand that without... All that suffering, without all that hard work, you would have never met your wife. No, no, no. You would have never won over her family. You would have been to her to her male cousins because yeah, I know yeah. the Spanish and they instantly community instantly instant approval. You would yeah. not have been approved if yeah. they don't like Maybe you. Not, yeah. You're going to know it because the last guy wasn't approved, and that was a quick divorce. Oh, so wow. I, w- I was stared at like, oh boy. You know, Here's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one before me. Let's yeah. try to get him out of here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway. So if I was a young person trying to yeah. get into the, the field of magic at whatever age, hey, Will, Will, mm-hmm. I know you're a magician. Can you give me any tips? What do you think you'd pass on to the next generation? 
Uh, wow, that's a good question. I do have some younger friends in magic. Like I, I mentor guys all the time. Guys call me up. They see me at magic conventions where I lecture to magicians or they see my DVDs and guys call me up and like, listen, you know, you have a big heart about what you do. Like when I lecture about magic, it's really about heart and bringing love to what you do and, and, and how to really approach people, how to be a kind gentleman visitor and not a show off and magic could be very show offy and stuff like that. So anyway, so I've got this way to engender kindness when I work and, and young guys pick it up and they call me often. I get calls and I, I got some guys I mentor and I tell, I tell almost all of them, I said, man, be a part-timer, you know, go teach, get a pension, not, not too stressful. And you'll double your income a few hours a week and love it. But they might not love that, that profession that right. they're in. Or whatever, yeah, whatever they're doing. I said, if you want to be a full-timer, then Godspeed. And call me back if you do that because I have other advice. This is my better advice. I said, but, you know, dream big. You know, I said, I never did. I said, if you want to be a full-timer, at least dream big because I, I wasn't that way. And I wasn't wired for that. I just wanted to be good. But luckily, being good in New York area, I was able to charge enough to make a living. I mean, you know, I'm doing okay, man. Like, I'm on my way to retiring. And that's another thing. COVID taught me. I had time to look at my portfolio. And then and in my mid-30s, you know, I was wisened up by some people. I was like, yeah, you start putting money away. So I started getting my Vanguard account, and I started plowing money in. Right, to and, the best of my knowledge, there's no magician's pension fund. No, exactly. So, yeah, so I, I realized, okay, 35, I'm halfway there. I better start. So I put money away every month off the top. That was cool. And then I realized, I looked at what I would put away, and I hardly ever, I just set it and forget it kind of stuff, index funds and ETFs and stuff. I just had it set up. And I finally looked at it and said, you know what? This market's going to be interesting. So I joined the Motley Fool, picked the best stocks that they were saying would be good COVID stocks, joined a couple of their services for Rising Stars portfolio of different companies they thought had great 5 to 10-year windows for 5 to 10x returns. And I learned about the 5G, what was coming in that. And I bought another service. I learned about 5G. So I got about 30, 40 stocks I'm in now. My portfolio has more than doubled in the past 8, 10 months. So like I can see myself because I started taking that way more seriously. I and I knew nothing about it. Humbled myself, talked with some financial friends, and like asked a lot of stupid questions that they almost laughed at. But okay, well we get it. We're gonna. You need to get to retirement, and they've boned me up and set me on a path to get there. I also saw I was the burn rate was high back when COVID started. Sold my house. I don't know if you noticed. I moved to a small, much smaller house. Yes. I, I went down one third. I've told you. So I went to a one third size of what I had, and it was that was painful. But I said, you know what? If I don't cut this overhead. The income's going to be down. So thank God. And even took the net of the sale and invested that. So like I've done a lot to set me up for better in the future. Humbled myself and lived in a smaller place, right? A little condo. And it's beautiful because I sleep so much better. So I tell these guys this stuff. I said, you may have to make these hard choices. I said, depending on the market goes. I said, a firm career is a wonderful thing to do. But if you're going to do it, you better be damn good. And you better damn well read twice as many business books as you do magic books. And be a good businessman. Well, I'm going to respectfully di disagree with you on one what? one topic. Mm -hmm. When you tell them to be a part-timer, your playbook mm -hmm. has worked because you're not, you're happy guy. You know, I see a lot of entertainers who are absolutely miserable. You're that middle of the road where you're successful. You're, you're great at what you do, but you don't have the, the trappings of, of the ultra success. David Copperfield or David Blaine, I'm right. sure they have a tough time going out and buying groceries. No, no, and, I never wanted that. Never wanted to move to Vegas. I just want to live in my house, have my friends, have my family, do what I do. For God's sake, the Will Firm playbook has been a winner. And why wouldn't you go with a winner playbook? You you were on Jerry but, Jones's yacht. <laughs> that was pretty fun. I know that. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Jones, yes, the Jerry Jones who owns the Dallas Cowboys. And now family and the, the company owns 
Yankees as well. It's one company now. Cowboys and Yankees are one company. Oh God. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Eight billion dollar man. I was out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I got to go on Jerry Jones' yacht and entertain him and his best friends from high school for an hour. That's pretty cool. Did you go to the bathroom in Jerry Jones's toilet? Yeah. That's what I would do. It's <laughs> the so first thing I would do. I wasn't allowed in the Jerry toilet. I, 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 I yeah, I had a different place. There was probably ten toilets in there, man. So, but I'll tell you what, though, my autograph is on his, uh, is on his mantelpiece. I finished the Wait, show. Jerry Jones asked you for yeah, 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 yeah. This is great. So <laughs> I can tell you this. So if I finished the show and I finished this joke about a pig. It's a, it's a silly little like a callback joke I have, and I finish with a, it's a pig, and it's a big picture of a pig. It's a cartoon pig, whatever, and it's just an ongoing joke in the show. Makes the context you have to know it. So anyway, so he goes, wait a second, you you got to give me that. I'm an old Razorback, right? Because he's a Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, fair enough. So I got to get your autograph on that thing. I'll put it up some, okay, sure thing. So, you know, on top of the pig. To my pal, Jerry, right? <laughs> so I, I said, I said, uh, smooth sailing and the new digs. Love your friend, Will. He goes, I'm putting that right over the mantelpiece. That's great. So just a nice man. He was actually, as much as I'm a Redskins fan, and I, I, you know, I didn't want to like the guy. He was a nice guy. And he's got my autograph. I didn't even ask him for his autograph. It's not always appropriate when you're working for somebody. In right. That, but my autograph is on his mantelpiece on a pig. <laughs> <laughs> You've had this great life, this great career, and I'm always looking forward to where you're going in the future because there's always something new for you. But if you take a look back and you were able to suffer to reach your dreams, what do you think it's taught you? Yeah, that you, you, you can get there, you know, lean on your friends, lean on, lean on your smarter friends, you know, always find a financial advisor, always find somebody to help you with your health. Cause if you don't have those, you don't have much. So I'm blessed with genes to be pretty healthy. And uh, again, just shout out to my buddy, Adam Psychos, who sat me down and advised me, you know what, you should sell your house. And you should take that, and we got to invest a little steeper now. And I guess so. I help me with that. Get me on the on the road. Uh, so I want to acknowledge that. Change my life. Give me some better pillow peace now. The Mexicans have an expression. My wife taught me. It's called you got to consult with the pillow. If you're having a hard time at something, consult with the pillow. When you go to bed at night, think it through. Take that time and think through your issues. Right. Don't drown those things out with things people would drown out. Those little voices of of the questions. Acknowledge them. Read ask, learn, grow, get through it. You might be the first angle to get to that problem, but somebody else has scaled that wall. Find others who've scaled that wall, follow them up. There's a way through it. You just got to look for it. The world is beautiful. People want to help you. I don't believe in dog eat dog. Never did. I believe in dog help dog. And we find the next bowl with the water and the food and we play. If you just focus on that, that there's a way through it that's positive that you can do don't take no for an answer. I would tell a young guy, if it's what you really want, find a way. Might not be the way you thought, but keep going till you find the way. And enough other people to ask and to love, support you, you'll get there. I think you got a really wonderful story. So where can we find Will Fern? I want oh, you to okay. throw out some plugs for us. Well, yeah, when it gets back to normal, that means having a party, let me know. I am dying to go. Uh, Willfern.com. And, um, so yeah, that's my corporate event business. My, my, uh, you know, people can find me there. My team building business is teammagicinc.com. And, uh, that's my team building thing. Got I said, gotta, you know, can't wait to do that this week. And then also kid wizard club is that franchise I bought into that I'm loving teaching kids magic, these wonderful magic kits they get. And it's, you know, and every different class has a different life skill, be it respect or enthusiasm, creativity, authenticity, and giving. Because magic is an act of giving. You only learn it. When you do it yourself, it isn't magic. When you give it away, it becomes magic. And it makes other people's happy, fills your soul in the process. And me giving this gift to kids now, when I could be miserable about all I don't have and what my career has been derailed with COVID, 
It's been wonderful for me to see kids that are so bored in their houses that they're just lit up. The emails I get from the parents, like, this is his best hour and a half of the week. You have no idea. Could you give us more magic? Like, send this. I'll pay you for more. He just wants to do more. He loves it. Making people, he gets his parents, grandparents on, on, the, on, the, on the internet, and he zooms and shows them their new tricks, and they do it after school for the other kids at school, and they're just found this new joy of wanting, they can't wait to connect with people again. Not just, they're on, not just playing video games anymore. They want to interact. They want, they want to give this gift that they're working on to people. And how great is that to hear that kids are just loving wanting to be around others and give to others. So I feel very blessed. I found this little thing. I'm loving doing it, passionate about it. The summer looks bright. I got a lot of contracts coming for summer camps I'll be doing. And who knows what it turns into, but for right now, it's a thing to do while I'm waiting for life to get back to normal. But I'll be doing it on some level even still because I love it. These kids are great. It's lemons into lemonade, buddy. Yeah, it's great. Yep. 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 Well, so in conclusion, let's, let's just think about all this stuff here. The successful people in life are those people that'll run towards the challenge. I also learned, give the power to take the power away. That's a big lesson. Make sure your head's clear when you put it on the pillow. The biggest thing that I love about Will is he is, he is one of these people who is not afraid to dare to dream. Yep. Most of all, I try be willing to work. Be willing to suffer to reach your goal. And don't just look at the end product. Look at the the, the different steps along the way because that's where the meat and potatoes is and that's where it's going to be the most fun. Yeah, man. Yep. You're constantly attacking. Like I always said, you know, right now, with, even with the regular career choices, you're going to have seven careers. Well, if you're self-employed, you might have more. You've got to keep moving. You've got to stay sharp. Especially if you're a hustler. And no matter what you're doing as a self-employed person, unless you're getting better every day, you're going the other way. So it's constant self-improvement. I'm still kind of glad that I always feel like I still want to be more because it gets me out of bed. It makes me better, right? So I think anybody can accept, I accept me for who I am, but I still want to get better, right? I think if you got that, you got it. Well, Will, you certainly do make it look easy, but you, I know you had to suffer to get through it. And thankfully you did because you're giving the world such great things. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Your Dreams. Thank you all for listening. Take a look at us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us. I thank you all for your support. I love you all. And we look forward to seeing you on the next The Suffering Podcast.